here in the sanctuary. The meal will be catered. There is a rumor, there is a rumor that the men will be serving, okay? We'll be all decked out and dressed out. I've got to recruit some men, so men, I'm coming after you, okay? We're going to do, but, you know, we're, it's our turn to serve the ladies. That plan, that promises to be just a great time. Ladies, you need to, since the meal will be catered, you need to sign up. There's a sign-up sheet out in the narthex. The deadline, and I'm afraid it's a hard deadline, so don't put it off, is November the 28th. Also, if you were interested in the Inquirer's class, it comes up this Friday and Saturday. You can still, there's still time to sign up. There's a sign-up sheet in the narthex, or call the office if you're interested in that. Now we have a very, very special presentation. And so I want to call up the scholarship committee. If they would come forward. I'm going to take a seat down here because I want to see this presentation. So if the scholarship committee would come on up. What's the right height for you, Valerie? A little bit I get it totally set up for well, you. We've got all sorts of heights here. So. Yeah. yeah, come on up here. That way you'll be ready when it's your time to speak. Okay. All righty. Good morning. My name is Valerie Hunt, and I wanted to introduce you to the other members of our scholarship committee. We have Mardell Cole, Marianne Johnson, I can't turn around, they said. Uh, Mark Stott, who is our newest member, uh, Steve Larson, and Rush Utley. Did I get everybody? <laughs> okay, we are here today to share an update on some of our earliest recipients, like we did a couple of years ago, because we want y'all to know what, what, what they're up to. Some of our recipients have actually graduated from college, and, are, and it's very exciting to see what they are up to. Good morning. Demarcus Crawford was our first scholarship recipient, and he sent us the following statement. I graduated from Samford University with a bachelor's in exercise science with minor concentrations in strength and conditioning. I currently work at a gym called D1 training in Birmingham, Alabama, providing personal training services, coaching boot camps for kids and adults, and am coaching Birmingham prep football players. I am pursuing my strength and conditioning certification while I wait and prepare for my next step in my journey. I would like to say thank you to everyone at Lake O'Connor Presbyterian Church and Dr. Rush Utley for the opportunity and help I was blessed to receive. Good morning. My name is Abby Reber. I graduated in May of uh, 2021 from Georgia College State and State University in Milledgeville, Georgia with a bachelor's um, of arts degree in public health and a minor in dance. In August, I started my master's program at the University of Georgia in Athens. For the next two years, I will be working towards my master's in public health with a disaster management concentration. 
I was blessed to receive an assistantship with the Institute of Disaster Management for at least my first year of graduate school. For about a month, I have been working closely with disaster management experts. Currently, we are wrapping up a huge project which we have been sending emergency preparedness kits to nursing homes and long-term care facilities across the state of Georgia. These kits contain items like flashlights, emergency blankets, a generator, a water purifier, etc. We are sending out more than 600 bags. This is the first of many projects that I will be working on this year with the Institute of Disaster Management. Dick Forrester, are you listening? <laughs> I will learn a lot from everyone on the staff and hope that this experience will help me narrow down a career path. Currently, I'm leaning towards working with the FEMA Subdivision of Homeland Security. It's been several years since I received this scholarship, but I just wanted to emphasize again how grateful I am this scholarship helped me get to where I am today. Thank you to everyone who has donated or will be donating to this fund. You are helping students like me achieve our dreams and hopefully use the language, the knowledge uh, we are gaining to make the world a better place. A simple thank you just doesn't cover it. I have never forgotten this scholarship. It seriously helped jumpstart me to where I am today. Thank you, Abby Reber, and a very proud mom. <laughs> I hope y'all are listening because this congregation that has very few young people in it has sent... Um, numerous people into the health industry. And this young lady who graduated in 2017 from Greene County High School is a good example of that as well. Wynesha Robbins, and she signs her name, R-N-B-S-N, because she is undoubtedly proud of not only being an RN, but having her Bachelor of Science in Nursing. I hope this communication finds each of you doing well. It's such an honor and a privilege to provide an update. This past May 2021, I had the wonderful opportunity of graduating from Augusta University with a minor in psychology and a major in nursing. Currently, I am back home in Greensboro and employed at Morgan Medical Center as an RN on the, me the medical surgical floor. This has been a difficult journey, but has been very much worth it. As we continue to face the challenges presented within our healthcare community, I have strong faith that I am gaining so much knowledge and experience through this. Please know that I could not have made it thus far without your continued love, support, and prayers. 
I am forever grateful for all that you have done. It is my sincere hope that each of you will remain healthy and safe. Perhaps I may see you around very soon. Thank you, Wynisha Robbins. Next up is Allie Webb, the class of 2018. I attended Georgia Southern my freshman year of college and transferred to the University of Georgia for my sophomore year. I took a year off and have worked full-time at Georgia Butts. I am now studying at Georgia Military College full-time, and I will have my associate's degree in psychology in December. I have been accepted to Georgia College and State University to finish my bachelor's in psychology with a minor in sociology. I plan to graduate by the end of 2023. I plan to go to UGA to start graduate school and teach psychology either at a college or high school. The scholarship committee goes to each of the schools in uh, Greene County and in Putnam County. That's five different schools. The uh, students have to be graduating seniors going to an accredited two-year, four-year, or a technical college. The, um, but many of the students do not know enough to ask for help, even though we give the applications to the school. So if you know somebody, either through Habitat, through the um, uh, Atlas, through Scouts, through home tutoring, uh, we'd appreciate your help in trying to get these applicants to apply. It's based upon need. So we have to, 2050, to January 15th of 2022 to get these in. Valerie Hunt put together a nice little postcard. If you know somebody who might be in need, we'll uh, give you that. I'll be in the Narthex uh, after service at the Welcome Center. And if you know somebody in need who might appreciate that scholarship, be happy to give you one. You can pass it on to them. Thank you. Now I want y'all to look at all the happy, smiling faces up there. We have awarded 24 scholarships over the last six years, and only two of these recipients have been a member of our church. Our committee believes this scholarship fund is a local outreach mission for the young people in our community. Like Abby said, quote, you're helping students like me achieve our dreams and hopefully use the knowledge we are gaining to make the world a better place, end quote. When the students and their families attend our scholarship recognition Sunday in the spring, they see our interest in their children and our church's love for the Lord in our community. We know there are a lot of opportunities for you to donate money above and beyond your contribution to LLPC. But we are asking you to please consider making a donation to the scholarship designated fund, which you can find on the envelope in front of you. This will allow us to continue awarding scholarships to high school seniors in Greene and Putnam County to allow them to pursue their dream of attending a post-secondary school. We have a donor who will match each contribution up to $10,000 over the next six months. We appreciate your help. We will put it to good use. Thank you.
I personally want to say thank you to the scholarship committee for their work on this. I think this is so significant. And I want us to tie this in. I want you to think about something from scripture for a second. When the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to the exiles in their community, so they're away from home, and he's, how should they conduct themselves? The Lord led Jeremiah to send them a letter, and part of the letter said this, that you were to seek the peace and the prosperity, and that word prosperity means shalom, the shalom, the peace and prosperity means the shalom of the city to which God has sent you. So God has sovereignly ordained for us to be here in Greene County, in Putnam County, and we are to seek the shalom of the city to which God has put us. And I think this is one of the significant ways that we have the opportunity to do that, and you just got a glimpse of how God is using this church, and I'm grateful. Now we have the opportunity to worship the Lord, and so as the prelude is played for us, let's prepare our hearts for worship.
Rowan Williams is the former Archbishop of Canterbury. And listen to what he had to say about worship. He writes, the new humanity that is created around Jesus is not a humanity that is always going to be successful and in control of things, but a humanity that can reach out its hand from the depths of chaos to be touched by the hand of God. God has called us into his presence. God has chosen for us to be here this morning to worship him. Jesus gives us the invitation to worship when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, in your name we come to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one, to glorify you, to worship you, to take, Jesus, your yoke upon us. We thank you that you are gentle and lowly in heart, and you promise us rest for our very beings, rest for our souls. And so we invoke your presence to be among us now, that we may praise you, confess to you, sing to you, and glorify to you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing our opening hymn of praise, Holy, Holy, Holy.
please be seated. I think I could sing, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea forever. One of the ways we praise the name of God is by confessing our faith together, acknowledging what it is that unites us as a people, the truth that binds us together. This morning, our confession of faith is from the Apostles' Creed, so let's acknowledge what it is we believe together as God's family. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us stand together once again and sing, Shine, Jesus, Shine.
You may be seated. As we continue to worship, let's lift up our hearts to the Lord in prayer, praying together the prayer our Savior gave us, the Lord's Prayer, and then I will lead us in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. What a joy, honor, and privilege it is, Father, to not simply know about you, but to know you. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer found in John chapter 17, began his communion with you by saying, this is eternal life. So he's defining life this way. He says that they may know you, the only true God, and the one whom he has sent. And so, Father, I think about what we do in worship. We don't just share and proclaim truth about you. But we proclaim you, who you are. And we've already discovered this morning that, Jesus, your very heart is that you are gentle and lowly. That you promise rest to those who come to you. That you satisfy and you bind up the brokenhearted. You are drawn and attracted to those who are hurting and find themselves as outcasts or on the margins. Lord, may we be sensitive to pray, and even as we pray, not just pray about ourselves, but to pray about others, to lift them before you. We think of Maxine Ward this morning, still in the hospital, and we lift her in part up before you. Father, we pray for many others who are hurting. The list is so long. We ask, Father, that you would be with Harold Sowell. We pray for him. We pray, Father, for Bill Burmeister and his mother. We lift them before you. And Lord, I know I can't remember everyone. But Father, our hearts go out to any who are hurting. And, and not only the needs that we see before us, but even the unspoken needs. The things that there may be people sitting here today that we don't know. Not just physical, facing surgery or facing other things. But Lord the loneliness, or maybe concern about something. You ask us, Father, to pray for our daily bread. So this morning I lift up as well Debbie Puppy and pray for her recovery from surgery. Emma Anderson, as she'll be having surgery in a little over a week. And Father, we pray that we would be a church that grows in holiness which means we will grow in love. Love for you. Love for others. Love for our community. Father, I'm blown away by the servant hearts of so many in this congregation. Thank you for the work of the scholarship committee. Lord, thank you that money is being given, funds are being given to provide for students to go to school, to get educated, to be prepared to work to do careers that are honoring and glorifying to you. 
Lord, may you continue to bless this work. We pray, Father, for the Grief Share seminars, the first one being held this Thursday evening. We ask, Father, your blessing to be upon them, that you will bind up the brokenhearted to comfort those who mourn. And Father, as in a few minutes we approach your word, Lord, I pray that for all of us it would be a time of worship, a time again where we don't just learn about you, but we proclaim you and we are confronted with who you are, that your truth will set us free. Father, thank you for this time of communion with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And you make the promise that your word will not return to you empty, but will accomplish what you have set out and purposed for it to accomplish. And so we yield to that. We thank you for that and pray for you to be at work. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, the passage upon which our teaching is based this morning is we are continuing in our look at what I'm calling Hope According to Isaiah. And so we are moving towards Advent and the Christmas season, and we're looking forward. You know, Advent is a time of looking forward, so we're looking forward to the birth of Christ. So we're looking into the Old Testament and these prophecies from the prophet Isaiah. This morning we're looking at one that is the second of four what they call servant songs. If you remember last week, we introduced this mysterious figure, the servant of the Lord, and we're continuing to look at the servant of the Lord this morning. So this is the second of four servant songs, Isaiah chapter 49. You're going to have to hang with me. It's a longer narrative. It's a longer... I, I challenged Yvonne this week with trying to figure out where to fit it in the bulletin, but it's a very important... Pa- I didn't want to cut anything out. So Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 16, friends, hear the word of the Lord. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, 
and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 begins the second section of the book of Isaiah. If you were going to outline Isaiah, it's very simple. Chapters 1 to 39, judgment. Chapters 40 to 66, hope. And Isaiah 40 verse 1 begins with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, saith the Lord. And as we go through these chapters, we discover that that comfort comes through the ministry of one known as the servant. And we're looking at who is this servant and what did he come to accomplish? What is his mission? What did he come to do? Now, we all know what it feels like to be helpless, to feel helpless and hopeless, powerless, kind of this feeling of isolation, maybe abandonment. Where do I turn? What do I do? Who do I turn to? Nothing seems to be working. This is kind of part and parcel, if you would, of the human condition. Now, we were created, we were meant to turn to the Lord. We were meant to live dependently, to be totally reliant and dependent upon Him. We can't escape our dependency. It's how we were built, how we were created. But we refuse to turn to Him. We refuse to depend on Him. Instead, we assert our independence, and we create strategies to make life work, coping strategies to deal kind of with these feelings of helplessness, abandonment, where do I turn? I got a glimpse of one of my strategies at an early age. Now, I had to look back to understand its significance, but I got a glimpse of how I cope, and no surprise here, control is one of my coping strategies. I like to be in control of everything. Ask Evie, she's watching on the live stream, she'll tell you, look in my closets, and I'm in such control, the shirts are absolutely in the right order, they go from light to dark. So we start with the white shirts, we move on, I knew exactly whatever color this is this morning I put on, I hope it matches, I knew exactly where to find it. I like to be in control. Let me tell you a story about when I was seven years old. Okay, I made this commitment to be in control early on in life. I was seven years old, and I was having my tonsils out. So the very first time, being away from mom and dad, being in the hospital. Now, I was all over the promise they gave me of ice cream. I love that promise and stuff. But this was April 1969. Now, you want to know why I remember this so distinctly? 
You know what happens in April? It's the beginning of baseball season. You all know how I love baseball. So here are my mom and dad. They're worried. I'm going to be worried about the surgery. They're, you know, I'm going to be, will I be in pain? Will I be in discomfort? That wasn't what I was worried about. As a baseball fan, I had to see the scores of who won the game the night before. There was no such thing as an internet back then. So I was scared to death I wouldn't have a newspaper the next morning. Yes, it was in the time of real newspapers. So I was panicked. I wasn't going to get a newspaper. And so what I do, Mom, Dad, will you bring me when you come back to the hospital the next day? They're like, will you be okay by yourself? Sure, I'm fine by myself, no problem. Bring me a newspaper. I had to have that. Now, here's where the control kicked in. I'm designed and built and supposed to live by trust, right? Now, let's throw that off the table. That's not going to work. Trust isn't an option. Don't do that. So I asked every single person I met, every nurse, every orderly, every doctor, those, the candy stripers, whatever they were called, they came in. Every single one, will you bring me a pay? I got to see who won the Yankees game. I got to see who won the sports scores. Baseball season starting. I got... The next morning, I had about seven or eight newspapers piled up on my bed. That's how I learned to deal with my feelings of out of control and helplessness. How about you? How do you deal with? Now, maybe some of you are sitting out there and you deal with it by denying that you're even helpless. Everything's great. I'm doing perfect. No problems here. Are you scared of anything? No. Or maybe you're like me and take control. Or maybe you don't confess need. Last week, we looked at the servant and we looked at more of who he was, that he's a king who is going to bring justice, put the world to rights, bring shalom back. This morning, we're looking at more of what he came to do, and specifically his work as a prophet. Now, see, you need to understand that in the original context, Israel faced two problems. I'm looking to see if my mic is still on. In the original context, Israel faced two problems, two issues. Their first problem was their exile, their captivity in Babylon. So they were helpless because of that. They were not free. And a servant would come and deliver his people from captivity. The second problem, though, is... Why were they in captivity in the first place? It was because of their sin. So it's not enough just to be set free, go home, and then still not have your sin addressed, not have your sin dealt with. How then can they be restored to God? And that's what this passage looks at. That's what, as we move through these following servant songs, we'll be looking at more and more how can a sinful people be restored to a holy God. The promise of this passage is that God will not forget you. Did you hear that at the end? Were you still paying attention even though I read a long passage? Did you hear the amazing, how amazing that promise is? I will not forget you. See, we all need to know that we're noticed, that we're cared about, that we are not forgotten. I needed to know that as a seven-year-old, and we need to know that today. And how does God show us that we are not forgotten, that he sees us, that he notices us, that he knows us? This passage shows us three ways, 
three ways that God shows that he will not forget us. He sends us a Savior, a Savior who happens to be a substitute who will bring us ultimate security. Three words, Savior, Substitute, Security. First of all, God sends a Savior. Verses 1 to 13 give us a panoramic, comprehensive view of salvation, beginning with a call to the islands, to peoples who are far off, to the distant nations, to the people of Jacob and Israel being restored to God. Verse 6 tells us that it is too small a thing just for the people of God for Israel to be restored. No. The Word of God needs to go to the distant lands. There is a whole world out there that needs to know the truth of God. That's a lesson and application we could take seriously today. Do we recognize that there is a whole world out there that needs to know the truth about God? Ken, I'm going to go ahead and quote. I told you I was waiting to quote this. Now's the right time. Ken Atkins and I have a fun thing between ourselves. He remembered in one of my older sermons, I said this, and I'm going to repeat it today because I want you all to learn it. The coin of grace is not meant to be spent on ourselves. The servant is speaking in verses 1 through 6. It's the servant that is speaking. And here's the promise that is given to the servant by the Lord, it is too small a thing. You are such an amazing, comprehensive servant that it is too small a thing to only bring back Israel, to only bring back the remnant, to only bring back the exiles. No, I'm going to make you a covenant to the people, a light for the nations. And so this call to worship goes out. Hear, O nations, hear and listen, O islands. Verse 1 begins, remember it's the servant speaking, begins with a call to listen. God's plan, God's story is being unfolded. The servant is speaking, and what does he call for? A believing, obedient response. He's calling the entire world to listen. We're reminded of the transfiguration in the New Testament. Mark chapter 9 where a voice from heaven declares, this is my son, whom I love, listen to him. Okay, friends, application time. We're told to listen to him, to give attention to him. Who is it that you listen to in your life? Verse 2 reads, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. From his mouth, he speaks We're reminded of the prophet's authoritative word. Who is the authoritative word in your life? Is it yourself? Is it other people? Is it CNN or Fox News or something like that? Who is it that you listen to? We are called and commanded to listen to the word of God, to have the word of God shape us and define us. Then take a look with me at verse 3. Very odd statement here. He says to me, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. What does it mean that the servant identifies himself with Israel? What does that mean? 
commentators, you scour the books, you scour the journals and the periodicals and all of that, and they say there's three possible options for this. First of all, the servant could be the nation of Israel. Second of all, it could be the prophet Isaiah. Or third, it could be some sort of ideal Israel. Now, as you think through these options, it's obvious it can't be the first. How can Israel restore Israel to God? That's not possible. The second option is not likely either, that it's the prophet Isaiah. It's far too sweeping, the vision and the promises that are being made here. So it's the third option. This is an ideal Israel. This is a figure that we know will be Jesus Christ that embodies all that Israel was meant to be and called to be. This servant will do what, Isaiah, what Israel was not capable of doing. Think about it. He will display the Lord's splendor. He will reveal the Lord's glory. This is exactly what Jesus did. And this is exactly what us, who are united to Jesus, who are called what? The body of Christ, are called and meant to do. Do you know where people are meant to see Jesus today? In his people, in the church. Our calling is to make God known, to reveal the glory of God. This is why when you get down to verses 5 and 6 and what he will do when he says, the Lord says to him, so the Lord is speaking now to, Israel, to the servant and says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant and he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up only the tribes of Jacob and Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. In other words, what he will do would be so great, so magnificent, so comprehensive, so far-reaching, that it will not only restore Israel, but it will reach to the ends of the earth. How big is our vision, I wonder? I wonder if we have too small a vision because we have too small a God. God sends a Savior. Next, who will be a substitute? I'm going to be real brief here because as these songs unfold, remember I told you this is only the second of four what they call servant songs. We are going to see more and more of how the servant will be a substitute by becoming a suffering servant. But here notice in verse 7, he says, Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. So now you have... The Lord speaking to the servant, and he says, To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people." The Lord here is addressing the servant. So in verses 1 through 6, the servant speaks. Now in verse 7, the Lord is speaking. And God declares that although the servant will be despised and abhorred, a day is coming when kings and princes will honor him. And friends, this shows the pattern of God's ways that he's always true to, and that he continues to be true to today, and that is the pattern of 
suffering, and glory. Humiliation followed by exaltation. Death followed by resurrection. Think about the great hymn that Paul utilizes when he's speaking to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where it mentions Jesus becoming obedient even to death, then being raised to life, and there coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Humiliation, exaltation, suffering, glory, death, resurrection. That is the pattern of God. Why should we expect it to be any different for us? What do you expect your life to be like now? We are exiles on our way to the promised land, experiencing the presence of God, a lot of the already of the kingdom, but there's a whole lot more yet to come. Wouldn't you expect that our path will be patterned after Jesus's, the one we're united to? That we will follow suffering followed by glory. Why do you think Jesus' call to disciples was that if anyone would come after me? Now, how's this? We don't see evangelism like this today, do we? Jesus is not just saying, I, I want everybody to come forward and accept me into your heart. No, if anyone would follow me, if anyone would come after me, he must what? Take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The only way to find life, real life, as it was created and designed to be, real power, purpose, significance, joy, is by giving your life away, denying your own rights, and giving them away for others. It was no different for the servant. See, the Lord is addressing the servant here. And look at what he says. He says, you will be despised and abhorred. We will see that as we move through Isaiah. This is the suffering servant. And then kings and princes will bow down to you. And look at as the story unfolds. And our covenant representative, a covenant to the people, substitutes himself for us. Look at where the passage leads. If you look down with me at verse 13, this leads to an outburst of worship. Sing for joy, O heavens. Exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. Now you feel like we could stop there, right? We've seen the servant who's come. He's a savior. He's going to save us. He's going to deliver us by being a suffering servant. The entire cosmos is worshiping. But if you look down at verse 14, something and someone is listening in. And they're going, not so fast. I have questions. Verse 14, but Zion said, and who is Zion? Literally, that's the hill of the Lord, but in the Old Testament, Zion is identified with the people of God. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. So take a look at this 
And then the response, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, look at this. How do you experience? Verses 1 through 13 gave us what? This comprehensive panoramic view of salvation, of hope, of all of this wondrous vision. But you're the people of God. And you're experiencing tremendous pain. You're still experiencing abandonment and helplessness and hopelessness. And you go, time out. Wait and see. Tim Keller says, this is like a college professor, some famous professor giving a lecture to a room that is filled with students. And all of a sudden, one of the students interrupts with, yeah, yeah, time out. I don't buy this at all. I'm not buying into any of what you're selling, dude. And Dr. Keller goes on, he says, what is amazing is that look at what the Lord does. Does he rebuke the skeptic? Does he ignore him and just keep going? No. He stops everything and he answers him. You've got almost like a theological disputation going on here. Verse 14, look at how this progresses. Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Quite an accusation to go against the Lord, isn't it? Notice how raw and honest the people of God are. Remember, they're in exile in Babylon. They're still in captivity. And look at what it said. The Lord has forsaken me. He's forgotten me. And Tim Keller, again, very astutely says, this reveals a very common condition of the human heart that we all struggle with. So I'm challenging you here now. Look into your heart. It says, notice that the people do not say outright, we don't believe. They're not claiming to be atheists. But what's going on is they believe with their head. They believe the doctrine. They believe the truth about God, but they don't feel it in their hearts. It's not real to them. Their hearts are not affected by God's love. God's love hasn't moved them and melted them. The word they're listening to is still the circumstances of their life. They are still gazing at and paying attention to what's going on in their life. So they feel forsaken. They're looking at their lives in, in captivity, in exile, and they're saying, you have forgotten me. You have forsaken me. See, in a sense, what they're saying is they're saying, we look at the evidence. We look at the evidence both within ourselves and outside, and we say, how can the Lord really love us? Have any of you ever said that? It takes courage to say that. We look at the evidence within, our truest thoughts, our deepest feelings, our random thoughts, how we really feel, and the evidence without, unanswered prayer, the circumstances of life, and we conclude, how can the Lord love us? Really love us. I included this quote in your reflection this morning. Richard Lovelace, in one of the best books I've ever read called Dynamics of Spiritual Life, puts it this way. He says, only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians 
are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have so light an apprehension of God's holiness and of the extent and guilt of their sin that consciously they see little need for justification, although below the surface of their lives they are deeply guilt-ridden and insecure. Many others have a theoretical commitment to this doctrine, but in their day-to-day existence they rely on their sanctification for justification, drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience. Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Luther's platform. You are accepted, looking outward in faith, claiming the holy, alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance, relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. Do you hear what Loveless is saying? He is saying that we all are radically insecure, and few of us have the courage to directly ask the Lord, how do I know you love me? See, Zion here is at least showing the courage to turn to the Lord and say, time out, I don't feel it. That's the first step of application. I see the evidence and it doesn't add up. If we're trying to base our acceptance with God on our own sincerity or religious performance, how can we ever be sure? And then look at the Lord's answer. The Lord says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever continually before me. Friends, look at what the Lord does here. He is comparing himself with a nursing mother. He is saying, look at what I am like and what I am not like. He is using metaphor or poetry here to describe his love to skeptical children. And he says, I'm like a nursing mother. He says, can a mother forget her baby? Most of the time, no, not all the time. There are certainly examples of parents who don't do such a good job. But he says, look at me. I will not forget you. And we come back. How do we know this? What evidence, what action is behind these words? And then he says something absolutely off the charts. He says, see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. We are marked. We are engraved with a chisel and hammer. And we say, how did that occur? When did that occur? Literally, that occurred on the cross. When into Jesus' palms were chiseled and hammered. And why did he do that? He did that so he would not lose us. Remember when Thomas struggled with doubting? Remember when he was struggling to believe? 
He was struggling with whether the Lord was truly risen from the dead. And he said, unless I see him, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I will not believe it. And what does the Lord do? Again, amazing. He never rebukes honest questions. He never rebukes honest doubting. He doesn't rebuke Thomas. He says, here, Thomas, put your fingers in there. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And it's then that Thomas confesses and cries out, my Lord and my God. Do you see? You and I are engraved on the palms of his hands. We were chiseled onto his hands. And when he says, your walls are ever before me, he is saying, we are ever before him. We are always on his mind. There is never a second that he is not thinking about you. He is, in being a covenant to his people, he has bound himself up with you and I. Will we ever understand fully the depths of his love and the depths of the security we have in Christ? Oh, that we would stop listening to all the noise within us and around us and contemplate and wrestle and listen and set our hearts fully on his love and let his love affect us and know that he will not forget us. Father, we marvel at Jesus. We don't understand fully who Jesus is and what he came to do. May we continue to gaze upon him, fix our attention upon him. May our hearts come more and more to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, and receive his rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.
Friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.